We're going to be in Mark chapter 1. We'll bring the lights up for you. Mark chapter 1. As you, as you make your way over there, let me just remind you that this Saturday we have our uh, marriage discipleship breakfast. Uh, it'll be at 9 o'clock in the fellowship hall. And we'd love for you guys to come and be a part of that. If you are married or engaged, uh, that would be awesome. That's uh, part of what God has, has, has us gathered together to be able to focus on some of the needs that exist um, here in the church and uh, really believing that strong marriages are something that, sh- I mean, the church should have the strongest marriages in the community, and that's what we're going for, is to have the best marriages that have ever, have ever existed. Uh, always looking to try to uh, imitate the original Jesus and his bride, and here this, mor- this morning, this isn't morning church, uh, not yet, uh, this isn't morning church yet, so this afternoon, this evening, uh, we, we come to this point in the story here, uh, the story of, of Jesus, the Redeemer, the Son of God. Uh, we've started going through the book of Mark, and we haven't made it very far yet, because uh, we're going to be in verse 9. And this is the, the baptism of Jesus. As I said last week, sometimes uh, the Gospel of Mark is, is referred to, it's, it's likened to a documentary that, that there are some, some just kind of clips that we see and then some uh, like longer passages. Uh, and so sometimes you get a lot of dialogue and detail and sometimes you don't. And this is one of the times when we don't get a ton. Um, and so if you were here last week, I've, I've started into this study of Mark that might take us a while. And for the first few weeks, I'm just sort of centering things around two questions in an effort to, uh, to perhaps give us, like collectively as a family, a simple framework to, um, to tackle like personal Bible study you know, on our own. And so our groups this week did something different where they didn't have prescribed uh, questions that, everyone, uh, that all the groups answer. Uh, everyone read the, read the story and then brought their own questions to the group and, and that sort of engagement in the scriptures is, is something that, uh, that hopefully we, all of us, continue to become more and more comfortable with. And so there are two questions that for the next couple of weeks, at least, are going are gonna to build the framework for the sermon. And these are questions that you can use on your own. Um, one is, what, what does God want me to know? And the second one is, what does God want me to do? That within each of these, these short passages... There's some things that he wants us to know, and there's some things that he wants us to do. And so we bring ourselves before, before the word, and we know that, that he has given this to us for some specific reasons. Those are two of them. And so we just kind of ask him, God, what do, you want, what do you want us to know? What do you want us to do? And so uh, I'm just going to offer you a couple of, of options and possibilities. And if you were to take this story, you would probably see things that I don't see. And, uh, and that would be awesome. And so I would encourage you to not, for a second, think that I have extracted everything out of the baptism of Jesus that there is to possibly get out of this story. These are just some things for tonight to, to emphasize, to remind us of, and to present. So, uh, so I've, I've kind of have, let me make sure I got my numbers right. I have five things uh, that I believe that we can know from this passage. So let's read it, and then I'll kind of go through that list. Um, it's verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, 
You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. So it would be it would be easy to to take a story that's you know three verses long and think, well, how much could there really be in there? Um, but there's a lot that's kind of packed in in there. So here here are five things that I believe God wants us to know, and there are certainly more. Um, one, we see we see a display of humility in this story. You have John the Baptist and you have Jesus. You have John the Baptist, the greatest, like the greatest human prophet. You have Jesus' cousin. It's someone that, that on the new earth, we will all, like he'll be on our list of people that we want to meet. Um, and not just because he's apparently an interesting character. Uh, we're going to want to like meet this guy. He is, he is the greatest of prophets. He had a role in the story of God that is, uh, it is so just tremendously awesome that for all these years, in, I mean hundreds of years through the Old Testament prophecies, they were talking about this Messiah that was going to come and that there would be a prophet that would, that would come to kind of prepare the way for him. And so John the Baptist not only got to be Jesus' cousin, but he got to be the one to go and to announce to everyone that the Messiah had come. And so here's this moment where Jesus comes to be baptized. He goes to his cousin, and he says, okay, I'd, I'd, I'd like to get baptized. And so there's humility from Jesus, who is this, like, the sinless son of God. I mean, he should be the one doing the baptizing, right? And John even, even like, says that in Matthew's account, uh, it's, it's, John tells Jesus in Matthew's account, I need to be baptized by you, but yet you come to me. And Jesus says, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Um, and, and so they, apparently when, when J- Jesus got to the Jordan, they kind of had a moment of like, hey, I think it's supposed to go the other way. Like, I think, I think you're supposed to baptize me. And Jesus is like, no, 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 it's supposed to be this way. And so Jesus is humble in letting John baptize him, even though Jesus is the son of God. John is humble in baptizing Jesus because it shouldn't really be that way. And so he gets to serve the son of God in this, in this way. And, and almost he's humbling himself by taking authority over him as the baptizer, if that makes any sense. Like it's a very humble moment for both men. John sees it right away. Jesus sees it right away, and they say, no, this is, this is what has to happen. So each of these men humble themselves to be served by the other and to play a role in the story that's very important. So that's the first thing, a lot of humility. Second thing, the fact that Jesus was baptized tells us that baptism is very important. I preached on baptism over the summer. If you want to hear uh, more on that, you can go check the podcast out. But Jesus himself was baptized, and that should, that should tell us something. That tells us that baptism is very, very important. So what is baptism essentially? You know, it's, it's, it's very mysterious. It's a, it's a picture. You know, it's multisensory. It's filled with, with imagery. Um, but it's a picture of what it means to be the people of God. We've, we've crossed from death into life by the power of God uh, at work in Christ, and he's invited us in. And so, so when you see someone standing in the water, not the preacher, like the person getting baptized, they're standing in the water, and they go in, and they're dry. 
the preacher dunks them and holds them for a little bit. If you're Preston Davis, your preacher slams your head into the back of the baptistry. Um, and then you come back up. And so from sitting out there, you see someone, you see them like go beneath the water, and you see them come back, come back alive. And it's supposed to, to be this, this picture of life before Christ and then life after Christ, a picture of someone who was dead spiritually and now is alive spiritually. But it's, it's the resurrection part. That's what baptism is supposed to, to remind us of, is like, okay, uh, Jesus died in our sins, and God, by the power of the Spirit, raised him to life again. That when we see baptism, we're supposed to see resurrection. That's, that's the thing. We tend to, to think baptism in terms of cleansing of sins, and that's not entirely a, a wrong thing, but the main imagery we're supposed to see is uh, dead, buried, Raised to life. That's what we're supposed to see. And so for Jesus to go to the river and to go up to his cousin and say, it's time for me to be baptized. And they're like, no, you, no. They're like, no, this is how it's going to go down. Jesus gets into the water with his cousin and Jesus is pushed beneath the water. Symbolizing the, 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 the death and the burial and the resurrection of humanity. And so for him to do this should give us a, just a ton, a ton to think about. That when we are invited into the waters, when, when people come after Christ and they follow him as their rabbi, a part of what's happening is this imitation, saying I want to be just like him. And so for him to be baptized, like, okay, well then I want to be baptized. But it's not something where you just go through the motions. It's not something that we just do because... You know, Jesus did that, so I guess I'll do that as well. We're saying, no, if it happened to him, I want it to happen to me. Like in a literal way and also in a, like a representative way. So he went into that water and I'm going to go into that water because he went into that tomb and I went into that tomb. And the Spirit raised him up. The Spirit raised me up. Like it's this gift to the church that every time we baptize someone, the whole room gets to relive their own baptism and is reminded of this, this picture of the gospel. Like that's, that's what it's about. It's not about uh, so many of the things that we can sometimes make it about. It's about being dead and being brought back to life by the power of God, by grace, through faith. And so baptism in and of itself is not a regenerating work. You know, it's, it's representing something that has, has already happened but it is massively important for the church. It's massively important for you and massively important for me. And so Jesus didn't have to get baptized, but he did. And he did that to set a pattern for us to follow. And sometimes I wonder if he's like, if he just kind of knows, like they're going to struggle to understand resurrection at all, especially in their own lives. So I'm going to give them this, this imagery and this, this, this discipline, this practice of the church so that over the course of life, you get to experience it and you get to watch all these other people experience it. And every single time, you're more and more grateful. Our understanding deepens about the significance of the waters. That Jesus is the ark, like Noah's ark. And we in, we're like inside of him and we pass safely through the waters of judgment, going from death to life. 
So uh, that's the second thing. It tells us that baptism is important. The third thing is the fact that Jesus was baptized tells us that the act of baptism is not primarily about forgiveness. It's not primarily about forgiveness. And sometimes there's, you know, there is confusion within like Christendom uh, like, uh, as a whole about what, what really happens in the, in the baptism moment. And some traditions interpret it one way and some a different way. And um, within Protestant uh, Christianity, there's different you know, arguments about you know, immersion and sprinkling and infant baptism and all these, these different kinds of things. Um, but the scriptures don't really tell us at all that the baptism moment is the moment of forgiveness. And we know that because Jesus had nothing to be forgiven of. So this tells us that there's more, baptism, it's more than that. It's representative of forgiveness. I mean, that's why we're brought back to life, because our sins have been forgiven. And so that, that coming up out of the water indicates that we have been forgiven, but the moment of baptism is about something more. Otherwise, Jesus would have just been doing something just to do it, and that doesn't make any sense. So if you look up a few verses, where we were last week, and talking about John the Baptist's ministry in verse 4, it says, John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So those verses talk about these people going and they're being baptized and forgiveness and confession of sin is a part of that. And then Jesus comes along who has nothing to confess and nothing to be forgiven of and, he, and yet he is baptized. And so how do you, what, do you, how do you, what do you do with those two things being brought together? Well, it's very simple that when, when we are baptized, we are saying, I have been forgiven. I have confessed my sin, and by the grace of God, he has separated my sin from me. My sin was put into Christ, and Christ was killed, and that debt was paid, and he has been brought back to life, and, and everything has been put back the way that it's supposed to. And so, yes, forgiveness happens. It just happens before baptism. That primarily baptism is this public declaration of, look, let me act out for you what Jesus has done for me. It's this parable that is alive. And so if there's, if there's any concern within us that, like, uh, like when you start to think about your own baptism, uh, there's probably a lot of us in here that have been baptized multiple times because, uh, like, because there are, you come to those points where you have this deeper realization of what Jesus has done for you, and it, it feels like you have come to Christ for the first time, you know? And so, like, what do you do? Well, then you get back in the water, right? Doesn't that happen? And so some of, some of you in this room were probably baptized when you were very young, and maybe again as a teenager after camp, and then maybe, like, uh, maybe even like as a young adult. And some of that, I'm not saying that anything is wrong with that. What I'm saying is there come these moments where, where we have these, this deeper understanding, and our desire is to get back in that water because you're like, okay, now I get it more than I did then. And if you get re-baptized, that, that's completely fine. But what we don't need to do is, is get hung up in any sort of myth that until we get baptized, there is this like, this like um, forgiveness issue that's still kind of hanging out there. 
If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive. And so baptism is representing something that's already happened. And so the baptism of Jesus reminds us of that. It's not primarily about forgiveness in, the, in that moment. It's primarily about a, a public display of the resurrection of Jesus that, that, that you have said yes to, but more importantly, he has said yes to you. He has raised you from the dead. That Jesus, when he was in that tomb, he did not raise himself from the dead. God the Father said, yes, I'm bringing you back to life. And the power of the Spirit went and made it happen. Jesus was a, he was a, a passive figure in the story. And that's what we're saying. In our forgiveness, we, we, did, we contributed to it because we like made the mess, but he is the one that acted on us to forgive us in the first place. And so baptism is important, and baptism is not primarily about forgiveness in that moment. It's a celebration of the fact that forgiveness has come. And because forgiveness has come, we now have been raised to walk in the newness of life. So Jesus entered the water, the sinless, perfect Son of God. So baptism plays a very special role in the church. Fourth thing, look how... like. Look at, look at Mark's wording. Look at verse 10. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Verse 10 says immediately. And so I think that God wants us to know that he is quick to show strong support and encouragement to those who are taking steps of obedience. Like the heart of God was that he wasn't like, well, you know, after Jesus, after he gets out and dries off a little bit and he's like kind of off by himself and, you know, like I'll, I'll, I'll tear the heavens open <laughs> later on and I'll send the dove, we'll do the thing later. It's almost like God like could not wait to affirm the son. That God is quick to show strong encouragement to those who are taking steps of obedience. Mark may have chosen to use the word immediately. He uses it a lot. But I don't think that that's uh, like an accident. I think God is, I, I think this tells us he is all about obedience. He is so pumped up. So that's the fourth thing. Fifth thing. Is this really powerful moment of love and connection between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit? That the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, 100% God, they're all fully God and equally God, but yet they have distinct um, roles, they have distinct um, personalities, and they're one, but yet they're distinct. It's just this whole big mystery. And this is one of those moments in the Bible where we, where we see all three. And isn't this just like this beautiful, like if you just stop and think about it for a second, this really tender, awesome moment that Jesus, let's say 30 or so years ago, had, had left heaven, became a fetus, <laughs> grew up, was born, had to learn how to like walk and talk and read and be a carpenter and had to be go through all the awkward years that we all hated and had to be a, a young man and had to like come into the family business and 
had to just do all these very normal things till he was around 30. And the whole time, never sinning once. And so finally, I mean, think about waiting until you're 30 to begin the like, purpose that you came to the earth for. He hits 30. First thing he needs to do is, is like the baptism is like, that's his like first big public declaration. And I think in terms of linear time, this was a moment that the Father, Son, and Spirit had been anticipating for so long. And for Jesus to come up out of that water, what's the first thing he sees is the sky open up, the Spirit comes and descends on him, and he hears his dad's voice. And his dad addresses him directly. He says, verse uh, 11, You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. I mean, you, like you are my beloved. I'm so proud of you, pleased with you, honored, honored, you know. I mean, this is, this is a very, very beautiful moment of love within the Trinity. The Father, Spirit, the Son. We get this glimpse, this backstage pass of this moment that they had probably looked forward to for a long time. So, uh, we see humility, we see uh, the importance of baptism, we see that baptism is about more than forgiveness. We see that God is quick to show, to show strong support. We see a powerful moment of love between the Father and the Son and the Spirit in those three verses. So what, is that, what do we do with that? Um, it just so happens, this is just kind of how it all fell, that, that each of those points kind of like should like push us to act. So we see that kind of humility from our rabbi, and what are we supposed to do? He says, if you want to be like me, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and just follow me. Become like me. He invites us into his life. And so one thing we're supposed to do is to pursue humility, just as, as his people. You know, we don't wait for humility to just kind of like happen. There are steps that we take. We, we, we are strategic in our pursuit of humility. The scriptures say that God gives, he gives more grace to the humble. So we don't need grace to be prideful. We're very, I can do that all by myself. I don't need him to help me with that. But to be humble, to have, to have like that kind of perspective on God and myself in light of who he is, um, I want to pursue that. I want to pursue a John the Baptist kind of humility. I want to pursue a Jesus kind of humility. Um, I don't want pride to rule me. I don't want my own self-idolatry to become something that, that I'm, you know, the 50 years down the road, if I'm still alive, I'm still like, still just like working on it, you know. Like, I want that to be conquered. I want, like, that's, that's what this pushes me to do when I see it right there in front of me. I see it from my rabbi. I see it from my rabbi's cousin, who he says is the greatest prophet that's ever lived. Uh, it's right there in front of us. So I think it's supposed to push us to humility. The second, second thing um, is, is to value baptism deeply. I don't know how, how often you think about your, your baptism. 
But this makes me this makes me want to like regular regularly go back and think about my own. And I was a like I was a like I was a two timer. Um, and I think that I knew both times. But it makes me want to go back and think about what what led me what led me to that first point. When did I when did I realize that Jesus really is this good? When did I realize that that I really was that broken that I needed God Himself to step in? When did I trust Him for the first time? When did when did all that stuff begin to shift for me? When was that illumination a thing for me? And even the second time around, what what was that like? How did that where did that come about? Why did I why did I want to get baptized a second time? What what was that like? It made me want to to treasure that because there are times when when all of us I believe struggle with doubt about our own salvation, about our own experiences with God, of of knowing what to do with with this and this and this and this. And I think our baptism can function as this just like anchor. Because it takes, I mean, it takes conviction to get into the waters in front of a bunch of people and say, uh, I was a sinner, and by the grace of God, I've been made a saint. I was dead, and now I'm alive. Watch, you know? So it makes me want to like, value my personal baptism more deeply than I do. Revisit it, relive it, to be grateful for, for it. And not only, not only my baptism, but, but your baptisms. You know, like to know your baptism stories and to know how you came to faith in, in Jesus and what that was like. And that every time we fill the baptistry up, which it's, it's been a little while, but every time we do that, for us to all have this really, really deep embracing of what that means. And for us to celebrate that together. And as we watch someone else tell their story, we're able to celebrate with them and be reminded of our own. And not only in this room, but I mean believers all over the all over the world that that, that is something that from this point until now has been happening. That it's like this unifying thing, kind of like communion, where it's like, no, this is this ties us all together, cross culturally throughout time, however you want to see it, that the waters are unifying. Because those who are in Christ used to be dead and they were buried and raised to new life with him. So to value my baptism, to value your baptism, to value everyone else's baptism, and to value the baptism of those who have not yet come to know Christ. To be to be burdened by how many folks are walking around spiritually dead. And so, I mean, that's, baptism is supposed to play a role with us. It's more than ritual, you know. And it's more, more than just, you know, something that we do to go through the motions. It's supposed to have a really deep value to us. I'm not at all saying that it doesn't. I'm not trying to put that on anyone. I'm just saying I want what it, this makes me me want to do is value it more deeply than I do now, to just keep going deeper. So you might already be leagues deeper than me in your valuing of it, uh, and I hope that some of you are. But I want to join you there, and I want us to keep going more, more deep, more deeply, whatever. You get it. Fourth thing, 
I want to imitate God by also being quick to show strong support and encouragement to those taking steps of obedience in faith. That we all have these moments where we're just trusting God with the next thing he has, he's put in front of us. And to walk together with people and as people are taking steps to be quick to show them. To immediately say, I just think that's so awesome. I'm so challenged by that. I'm so encouraged by that. To not for one second uh, put that off until later. I'm so bad about that, you know. Like I'll think, like I need to. I was, that really meant a lot that this person did that. I need to tell them that. I'm gonna tell them that the next time I see them. Then I've forgotten. Or I'll say, man, I need to shoot them an email about that this week. You know, and then I get a billion other things. You know, like I want to be. I want to be quick to do that. Not just because that's. I think that's a good thing to do. I want to be quick to do that because God is quick to do that, and I want to be like Him in this. So it makes me want to immediately respond. When people are taking steps of obedience in faith, I want to be there cheering them on because God is there doing that. If I can remind them that God is that way, then I want to be part of that too. Here's the last thing. What does he want, what does he want us to do? I think he wants us to draw near to the love found within the Trinity. We see that, that connection Here's the son who's walking in obedience. He's doing like the, I mean, the hardest thing that anyone has ever done in, in history. And the spirit descends on him and the father affirms him. There's this beautiful moment. And that beautiful moment is not one that where they just look at each other and they like keep everyone else away and like, no, this is for us. That little triangle opens up and they say, come on, you can be a part of this too. Like this, come into our life. Let us raise you from the dead and you come be a part of, of this. It makes me just want to draw near to that, you know. It makes me want to, to love him more. It makes me want to be, like to receive that love from him more. It makes me want to share that love with, with others. It makes that, that Trinitarian agape love that we see just something that's so tangible and Jesus like holds this out to us. He like offers this. He's like, "Come, this is what you need. Come be a part of this." And communion helps. helps it reminds us of that. That Jesus is standing on one side of a table, offering His life and blood to you—the body, the blood, like everything. He's like, "Here, come be a part of me." And in a minute, when we line up and we take communion, we tear that bread and we dip it in that juice. That's what we're doing. We're drawing near to the love of the Trinity that's held out to us. And so we see this, this amazing picture of resurrection. And then we have Jesus inviting us into it. And so tonight we get to, we'll sing about the resurrection and we've talked about baptism and then we get to take part in the Lord's Supper. And we see these two practices of the, of the church maybe coming to life in a really like, cool way. But all of it is about him inviting us into his own life. It's, it's this relationship. It's, everything is relational. Everything. And so three little verses that I think have a lot to say to us. And I hope it's encouraging. You know, I hope that, that if you are trying to take obedient steps, you know, like you're, really, you're, you're, you're just doing everything that you can to be obedient. I hope that you hear the affirmation of God directly, but also indirectly through, through all of us. That humility is something that you desire, that that baptism is something that, that we value because we're like, no, that's a picture of our story. 
And all of it is God offering us his life and us saying yes. He's already said yes to us. We're just constantly saying yes to him over and over again. So we're going to take, we'll have communion. And we'll sing a little bit. And if you want to come down here and pray, we're just going to spend these moments really just trying to receive what God has for us. And only you know what that looks like for you. Um, but whatever it is, we want to give some space to that to be able to happen. And so you don't have to take communion, but you can. You don't have to come and pray, but you can. You don't have to sing along, but it, it would help us out, honestly. <laughs> uh, maybe all of these things together, we can just respond for a few minutes to this really, really amazing picture that God has before us. And we'll bless each other and we'll go.